Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining today's conference call. I'm Elizabeth Kerr with Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We're pleased to welcome Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. He's here to talk about last night's State of the Union address. Secretary Vilsack has served as the Secretary of Agriculture since the beginning of the Obama administration, and prior to that, he was Governor of Iowa. For those of you who are new to Business Forward programming, we organize local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls and webinars, and media trainings for tens of thousands of local business leaders across America. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues affecting their businesses, how to create jobs, and how Washington can work with businesses to accelerate our economy. To date, more than 450 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors and mayors, and local elected officials have participated in our programming. Before we get started, I need to cover a few housekeeping items. First, today's call will be recorded and provided as a podcast downloadable from our website in case you'd like to reference anything you heard today or share the recording with your colleagues or your own network. Second, this is an interactive phone briefing and there will be time for you to ask questions and share comments after the Secretary's remarks. Uh, you can participate in one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time to be entered into the queue to ask your question live, or you can email your question to info at businessfwd.org. Again, you can press 1 to be entered in the queue to ask your question live, or you can email those questions to info at businessfwd.org. Please include your name, business, and location in your message if you email your question. And when you ask a question live, introduce yourself with your business and where you're calling from. Uh, we're going to get in as many questions as we can, but we're limited to about half an hour of time. So let's get started. Please welcome Secretary Vilsack. Thank you very much, and I appreciate the uh, opportunity to visit with you uh, briefly this afternoon. Uh, I uh, obviously attended the President's speech last night and uh, was very proud to be part of an administration uh, that has basically taken this country from the brink of an economic collapse uh, to where we are today, recognizing that there's still a great deal of work yet to do. Uh, I was pleased with the fact that the President pointed out that the unemployment rate went from 10 percent to 5 percent, that we've seen private sector job growth for 70 consecutive months, a, a historic record. Our deficit has now been cut by almost three-quarters. Health care coverage has been extended to 18 million Americans with the cost increases for health care at their lowest rate in 50 years. And I was very, very pleased that the President took time to talk about the innovation economy that he and his administration are helping to build and that you all are helping to contribute to and build. It's that innovation economy that's going to allow us to continue to be in the business of what America does best, which is to make, create, and innovate. Part of uh, the strategy uh, behind an innovation economy is the need for us to continue to expand our reach around the world. And there's no better opportunity to do that uh, than through the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement that the President uh, visited with us last night about briefly. Uh, many of you are aware, I think, of the impact that the Trans-Pacific Partnership could potentially have on American goods and services, but certainly in the agricultural uh, area, it would require and provide a significant boost uh, to uh, markets that today are, are a bit soft. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to extend into the Asian market, which is a rapidly growing and expanding market. Uh, the countries in TPP represent roughly 40% uh, of the global uh, GDP, 47% uh, of all of our trade currently takes place in these countries. And it's an opportunity for us uh, not only to balance uh, the influence of China uh, to enable the uh, United States of America to 
write the rules, if you will, for future Asian trade uh, based on high standards uh, that recognize the need to protect environment uh, and labor, uh, while also creating a science-based uh, approach to uh, sanitary and phytosanitary uh, uh, rules and regulations. But it's also an opportunity for America to exercise uh, global leadership, an opportunity for us to essentially uh, access uh, particularly the growing middle class market that is uh, in Asia today. Asia represents roughly 535 million middle class consumers expected to grow by 2.7 billion in the next 15 years. Uh, there's an enormous opportunity for us and it's going to be important uh, for Congress to take action on TPP uh, in the near term. Uh, it's going to be important specifically for the business community, small businesses in particular, uh, to provide vocal leadership uh, to encourage members of Congress uh, to study uh, the benefits of TPP, to understand the benefits, and to take uh, congressional action. Uh, timing on this is critically important. The rest of the world is watching, and certainly members of uh, TPP uh, are, are watching for American leadership. Uh, just so you know, over 18,000 tariff lines or taxes on goods and services uh, from U.S. products uh, will be reduced or eliminated in this agreement. Uh, in the area of agriculture, there are a couple of critical opportunities for us to advance uh, biotechnology and organic uh, agriculture as a result of this agreement, uh, and it uh, provides, I think, momentum uh, for the possibility of a uh, equally large and significant agreement with our European friends under the trans-Atlantic uh, uh, effort, our TTIP. Uh, so it's important, I think, for, uh, for folks to understand uh, why the President talked about this, uh, uh, this trade. It, it isn't just the economic value, uh, it's also part of the ongoing effort to remind the world that America is uh, probably the single indispensable nation. And when you think about the major pro uh, problems that face the world today from uh, uh, a slagging economy to uh, climate change uh, to pandemics to terrorism, uh, the reality is when there is an issue or when there is a question or when there is an uh, effort uh, to, uh, to take on some of these big challenges, the world turns to the U.S. Uh, and we want to be prepared uh, to follow through uh, on that leadership responsibility and uh, TPP I think represents a, a great opportunity. In the same way, uh, our efforts in climate uh, and climate change adaptation and mitigation strategy also reflect that leadership. Uh, the reality is that the, the President was able to lead an effort that got uh, 200 uh, nations uh, to agree uh, to uh, a concerted and organized and collaborative effort uh, on reducing uh, the risk associated with climate change. Uh, agriculture in the U.S. is doing its part by re uh, doubling the rate of emission reductions over the next 10 years. Uh, and certainly the U.S. will provide uh, a significant leadership in this area. Uh, President pointed out uh, that this doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a, a challenge as we deal with transi transitioning uh, economies, uh, whether it's the coal industry or other industries. This is also an opportunity to help those communities that are making a transition, uh, and the President has been prepared to do that. Uh, we at USDA are engaged in that effort right now, for example, in Kentucky uh, with a Promise Zone and Strike Force effort. Uh, really focused on directing uh, resources to allow those communities that are adjusting and transitioning to be able to do so uh, in a positive and forward-leaning uh, way. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. I know that our time is uh, somewhat limited, so I'm going to stop uh, with that brief discussion of TTIP and, and uh, a focus on the climate 
issue and uh, open it up to, uh, to questions. Uh, thank you, Secretary. Uh, I'm going to remind everybody, if you would like to ask a question, you can press 1 on your telephone or you can email that question to us at info at Our first question, Secretary, relates to your last comments here. You mentioned the Promise Zone effort in Kentucky. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that and um, what state and local, other state and local um, organizations can do um, as part of that effort or learn from them? Well, the, the, the President uh, directed us to focus on uh, what are referred to as place-based strategies in which we can coordinate and collaborate uh, federal agencies' efforts and helps uh, and direct those help in, a, uh, in areas of either persistent uh, poverty or in transitioning uh, economies. Uh, uh, the coal country in, in Kentucky happens to be both. It happens to be a place of persistent and, and deep poverty. It also happens to be a place, obviously, that's going through a significant transition. Uh, so the Promise Zone designation basically allows uh, that area of Kentucky uh, to receive uh, preference points uh, on any competitive grant program that the federal government provides and offers. It also uh, results in a number of AmeriCorps volunteers being assigned uh, to that area to assist and help. Uh, we have complemented the Promise Zone effort with our Strike Force effort, uh, which is an effort within USDA to uh, ensure that all of our mission areas are working in a collaborative way uh, to make sure investments take place in these areas of persistent uh, poverty and to make sure that they are meaningful, uh, that they are led by uh, local uh, uh, community building organizations, uh, and that we are here to uh, encourage and to enable people to understand how to basically apply for these programs and take full advantage of them. Promise Zone uh, is in a number of selected communities. Uh, we have, I think, uh, committed ourselves to roughly 20 of these areas uh, through the administration. A number of them are in rural areas. Uh, uh, Oklahoma uh, is uh, another promised, uh, Promise Zone area that we are currently dealing with uh, in terms of the Choctaw uh, Nation. Uh, we are uh, uh, working in strike force in 21 states. Uh, over 880 counties are impacted and affected by this effort, and I can tell you that over the course of the time that I've been Secretary and Strike Force has been in place, uh, we've made 186,000 separate investments uh, in those 880 communities, uh, about 23, almost $24 billion, uh, no, actually $26 billion uh, invested, uh, everything from home ownership uh, to business assistance to uh, farm loans uh, to expanded conservation efforts and nutrition assistance is involved in that. Uh, great, thank you. The next question we'll take is from Jim Moran. Jim, uh, your live should be live and ready to go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks for doing this. Um, you, uh, uh, the President mentioned opening up Cuba in his speech. And one of the principal opportunities in Cuba is agricultural. I know you've been working on this. Uh, Mr. Secretary, could you tell us how much progress is being made in, in terms of opening up uh, uh, the uh, export-import market uh, with Cuba and the United States? Well, I certainly appreciate the question and uh, just tell you that uh, we miss your leadership and uh, your passion uh, here in, uh, in the halls of Congress, uh, Congressman. It's good to hear from you. Uh, look, Cuba is an opportunity for us uh, to re, uh, 
take uh, uh, an agricultural area, an agricultural uh, 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 priority, uh, and uh, uh, a trading area that we used to dominate. Uh, Cuba basically imports about 80% of their food. Uh, it's a uh, $1.8, $1.9 billion opportunity in the past. The U.S. has uh, perhaps provided 50% of, uh, of those imports. That has, over time, because of restrictions that have been placed on our ability to help and on the ability of the Cubans to trade with us, uh, which the President has begun to un untangle but is not in a position to completely untangle until the embargo is lifted, uh, that has significantly declined over time. Uh, so now it's roughly two to three hundred million dollars instead of uh, historically somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, six to seven to eight hundred million dollars. This is an area from poultry uh, uh, to, to rice uh, to a number of other products that we can sell in great abundance and we would have a competitive advantage certainly to our European uh, competitors and potentially even to our South American competitors by virtue of the closeness of Cuba to, uh, to the U.S. mainland. Uh, the key here uh, is reducing and ultimately eliminating the embargo and the impacts of that. Uh, that would allow us at USDA to use the programs that we currently have in trade promotion. We're prohibited from doing that uh, based on the embargo. Uh, it would also make uh, the extension of credit, the ability of uh, us to do business directly with Cuban banks as opposed to through uh, intermediaries, uh, all of which would reduce the friction in the relationship today. Uh, it also, I think, would give us an opportunity to create uh, a closer relationship by providing technical assistance in Cuba. Uh, they have, I think, a profound impact and opportunity in the organic space, which we could facilitate in which American consumers are uh, encouraging increased production, increased demand uh, for organic product, uh, and the Cubans could potentially uh, rebuild their economy and provide more opportunity for their own people, and in doing so, I think, become less of a uh, of a concern and less of a threat than they've been in the past uh, to the U.S. Uh, thank you, Secretary, and thank you for that question. Our next question comes from Susan Jaime. Susan, uh, your line should be live. Please let us know where you're calling from and go ahead and ask your question. Yes, uh, I'm calling from uh, San Antonio, Texas. Um, so, Chairman, my question to you is how is all of these different programs in the TPP going to be affected uh, by the delay of the uh, vote on the Board of Directors for the XM Bank? Well, the XM Bank is uh, a critical component of our strategy to enhance American presence uh, abroad and to create economic opportunity here at home. Um, uh, the TPP negotiations and trade agreement uh, are not necessarily directly impacted and affected by uh, the failure of, uh, of Congress to approve uh, nominees and so forth. Uh, it complicates the XM Bank's ability to do its work, which is important. Uh, the TPP discussion uh, really, frankly, is up to congressional leadership uh, to get this matter before the body, uh, before the House and before the Senate, uh, and to do so in a way that doesn't allow uh, presidential politics or outside forces uh, that may want to delay or ultimately defeat TPP to delay this to the point where it becomes difficult to get it done. Uh, under the agreement, uh, essentially all parties to the agreement have relatively, roughly two years to get this thing approved. Uh, and the reality is it doesn't go into effect until uh, a majority of, uh, of, uh, of interest, of, uh, a majority of the, of the overall economies are supportive, obviously, of the United States and Japan were to approve this, then obviously they would, it would go into effect. 
so it's I think the rest of the of the country or the rest of the countries are, are, are waiting for the U.S. to act, uh, waiting for the U.S. to send the signal that this indeed is going to become a trade agreement. And here, here's the, the challenge. If we don't get this done, if Congress decides for some reason uh, not to be supportive of this, uh, it's not as if the status quo remains and we just continue to do business as is with Vietnam and with uh, some of the other countries. Uh, the reality is that China has been negotiating uh, with Asian countries for an all-Asian agreement uh, that would not be a high standards agreement, that would not be concerned about labor and environment, that wouldn't be concerned about science-based SBS rules on the ag space, wouldn't necessarily reduce 18,000 tariff lines and taxes on American products, but would create a, a, low, a lower standard agreement uh, in which the United States would be at a com significant competitive disadvantage uh, in terms of uh, accessing that Asian market. So it is imperative uh, that we take action and that we take action quickly enough to send a strong message of support for TPP uh, to the other nations that signed on to this agreement. There are, in fact, a number of other nations that after TPP was negotiated uh, decided that maybe they should have been in on the, on the, uh, at, at the beginning of all this, and maybe they should have been uh, signatories to the agreement as well. Uh, and and uh, it's an opportunity, obviously, if we get this thing passed and imp implemented, uh, to expand potentially the, the number of participants who would have to live up to all of the requirements of TPP before they would be considered uh, to be uh, part of it. Uh, thank you. Our next question comes from Kathy Shandling. Kathy, your line is live. Go ahead and ask your question, and please remember to let us know where you're calling from. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Kathy Shanling. I'm the Executive Director of the International Private Water Association, which despite its name is all about public-private partnerships in the water sector, both in this country, North America, and around the world. My question to the Secretary is, what can the Department of Agriculture do to better address water usage amongst the agriculture community and to better address the issue of water energy nexus? because it can't just be about individual homeowners not using water as much as they would like to, but it should also be about industries across the board, including the agriculture industry, learning to use um, more regulated use of water, even perhaps even treated wastewater to grow agricultural products. Well, there are a couple of ways in which I can respond to that. Uh, first of all, uh, we're proud of the fact that in this administration there are a record number of acres enrolled in conservation practices of one form or another. Many of these conservation practices are designed to retain and withhold uh, water in the soil uh, so that uh, it, less water is required in order to grow a crop, particularly in irrigated areas. Uh, the administration is also working in a number of collaboratives and research projects to figure out ways in which irrigation can be improved and more efficient. An example is in the state of Nebraska, there's a collaborative effort uh, arising out of the concern of the uh, reduced uh, aquifer uh, that basically services uh, Nebraskan agriculture. Uh, as a result of that collaborative and as a result of the practices that USDA has proposed and suggested and the University of Nebraska have, has, uh, has researched, uh, producers in Nebraska are now saving 114 billion, with a B, gallons of water that was traditionally and in the past used for producing crops uh, in Nebraska that's no longer required. Uh, we are also working on uh, a variety of uh, opportunities in the state of California uh, to, uh, to learn how to use uh, drip irrigation uh, to improve the uh, 
efficiency of, of current and existing irrigation systems. There's research as well uh, on, uh, uh, on crop formation uh, in which uh, uh, through uh, genetic uh, engineering, uh, crops may be uh, grown with less water uh, that may be actually drought uh, resistant. Uh, so we're using seed technology to improve productivity uh, and utilize uh, water uh, in a more effective and efficient way. Uh, so there is an awful lot of activity from cover crops to, uh, uh, to new irrigation systems to uh, research to conservation uh, that American producers are engaged in uh, because they are equally concerned about water quantity and quality. Uh, they are equally concerned about their livelihood uh, being dependent on their ability to access adequate water resources and to use them efficiently. Uh, thanks. And this, this, oh, go ahead. Sorry. The thing about that, we also recognize as the climate changes and weather patterns become more intense, uh, we have established a series of climate hubs and sub-hubs, uh, one of which is located, a sub-hub is located at uh, UC Davis in California that's looking at this issue of crop production in, uh, in drought-stricken uh, areas. Uh, we're also looking at the University of Tennessee and a project involving uh, uh, livestock uh, feeding. Uh, how we might be able to utilize uh, feed in a more efficient way that uh, results in less water. Uh, the issue of wastewater being used is also in the process of being researched. So there are a variety of research projects, and these climate hubs have allowed us to identify uh, vulnerabilities uh, in each region of the country concerning crop production, livestock production, and forestry. Uh, and we are now in the process of identifying uh, over 80 different uh, mitigation and adaptation steps producers can take uh, in the regions around the country and getting information out to them through extension and through the land-grant university system. Uh, thank you for that. We have time for one more very quick question, and that's from Adam Basuti. Adam, go ahead and ask your question. Hi, uh, this is actually Victoria Guida from Politico filling in for Adam. Um, I just wanted to ask on, on TPP, um, you know, U.S. pork producers have raised some concerns about the fact that Japan is putting in place uh, some domestic support programs to sort of soften the blow of the deal. Um, are you having conversations with the Japanese about that, and are there any other programs that Japan is talking about uh, putting in place for some of their other ag products that you all are concerned about? Well, I traveled to Japan uh, before the first of the year uh, in December and had conversations with the new agricultural minister. Uh, he's uh, just getting himself uh, acclimated uh, to the job, uh, and obviously, uh, we uh, had a conversation and discussion about uh, steps that could be taken uh, to uh, strengthen or to ensure uh, the passage of TPP. Uh, there were a number of issues that we discussed, uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, our focus at this point in time uh, is on making sure that folks in the U.S. fully understand and appreciate the benefits that will accrue through TPP. Uh, we'll obviously continue to work with the pork producers on any concerns that they raise and try to uh, make sure that we are sensitive and responsive to those concerns. But key right now is to make sure that people understand how agriculture uh, generally uh, and with, with reference to individual uh, uh, crops and, and livestock uh, will be a net winner uh, as a result of TPP. 
Thank you. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Please check your email for a post-event survey where you can let us know what you thought of today's call. And we'll also include a link to the recording of this call as a resource where you can learn more about, as well as resources where you can learn more about the administration's international trade and climate change initiatives. A special thank you to Secretary Vilsack and the U.S. Department of Agriculture for joining us today and all of you who took the time to join today's call. We look forward to working with you again soon. Thanks, everyone.